0: We are in week two of this new series called Groundwork, which uh, everybody very excited about, it appears, because I guess we all figure out that we have areas in our life where we need to do, we need to lay a little fresh groundwork. Um, we are people, we are souls under transformation, under construction. That's why we have this stuff up here in a sense, just symbolically, that God is not through with you. You didn't come to some decision to follow God, and then suddenly you were finished. That's not what the Scripture teaches. It teaches that we are constantly being changed and transformed. If you were here last week, we handed out notebooks to everybody because there is going to be a test that, just kidding, there's going to be a a lot of notes that we want you to be engaged in. Uh, Everybody, every New Year's, says, I'm going to make changes, I'm going to, you know, this and that, And, and we all know that all these promises in January, so often in February, we give up. So what we wanted to do is going through these things, not just have it be an hour on Sunday morning, but have the conversation go on all week. We put a video on Facebook this week discussing these things. These resources are available both on our website and through Facebook, and every week when you come in, you're going to get a set of new materials covering that week's transformative area in our life. So, If you did not get one of these, you weren't here last week, would you raise your hand, and my wife is going to come around and give you one of these notebooks? Or maybe not my wife, because that guy has way too heavy a beard to be my wife. Um, so if you didn't get a notebook last week, this has last week's notes in it, and you will put this week's notes in it. And then the ushers are going to come through, and they're going to hand everybody, in a moment after they give you the notebooks, everybody, they're going to give all of you this week's material. Now, let me go through what we're asking so we can actually have some change in our life. We're asking everybody as a community, as a church, to do this. It's only for eight weeks. It's not forever. We can do this together. A lot of you have uh, emailed me and and said, you know, you're going through the devotions. It's, you know, and if you know me, like, I, you know, I probably shouldn't say this. I find most Christian devotional books kind of cheesy. When I, I, half the time I'm looking, I'm going, this is so silly. Um, So I try to write hard devotions, like ones that, you know, you got to really wrestle with. So hopefully there's some hard devotions in there. So we're asking you just 10 minutes Four times a week to look at this material. So it's not just, oh, I heard about it on Sunday and I forgot it, because you will forget it. Four times a week, take ten minutes, or, yeah, four times a week, every other day, take ten minutes and do one of these four devotions. That's number one. Number two, that you would commit just one scripture verse to memory during this process. So every week there's going to be a scripture verse pertinent to the topic that we're working on. And we're asking if you would try to memorize it. Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Right? So we're just hoping that you'll, this concept will stick through that process. All right? Here's the last thing. I've given a lot of talks at Menham Hills. You know, I don't know how many, but a lot. And I would say the feedback on last week's talk was probably top 10 in terms of most feedback I've ever gotten on a discussion. If you weren't here, it had to do with goals and how goals are, are, in a sense, a spiritual formation process. God has goals. Jesus has goals. Paul speaks about goals a lot. And the one thing that seemed to resonate with our church last week more than anything else, I got tons of emails on this, was that when we were all growing up, When we were in high school, we had goals of getting out of high school and going to college, and then we were going to get a job, and then we were going to meet a spouse, and then we were going to get a house, and then we were going to have some kids. We had all these goals. But around 30, sometime in there, when we either achieved all those things, or we, we started to think, well, maybe those things won't happen, we stopped setting goals in our lives, and we begin to just lead lives of drifting. It was never God's purpose for you was just to drift through life, letting other people set the agenda for the trajectory of your life. So we talked a lot about goals last week, the scriptural foundation for them. In fact, um, how we often set goals for people that say that God can do all these things, we set these ridiculously low goals where we expect God to do nothing and us to accomplish them all under our own power. So the secret piece, the transformation, is this goal piece. So, what you got this morning was a couple of sheets. One is a sheet that goes through the seven areas, and we're going to ask you to transfer every week a three month goal onto that sheet. The second is every week you're going to get a sheet that that asks you to come up with a goal for that area. Today's area is spiritual health. Mike Tyson has one of the great lines ever spoken about, about goals. He said, he used the word plan. He said, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. That's a great, you know, anybody can set a goal, right? I could walk around and people would tell me, here's my goal. The problem is nobody's ever doing anything about their goals. They have no plans to actually achieve those goals. They just have the goal. So I'm going to ask you every week to come up with not just the goal, but a couple of one or two concrete steps for getting to that goal, so that together, as the Church of Christ at Manning Hills, we might be changed. Now you might be saying, boy, I'm not sure, where is some of this stuff in Scripture? There is a great memory verse for you this week um, that we pulled out. It's in Colossians. Um, we're going to put it up. And the, the version of, uh, of this in the Message Bible is really great. Um, here, here it is. So we have not, Colossians 1, 9 to 10, Darren's probably got it up. We have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. All right, Paul. Paul. This is actually the NIV one I'm giving you now. All right, Paul, what are you praying for? Paul's praying for the church. What is he praying? Is he praying that we'd be successful, we'd be peaceful, we'd be... What is he praying for? He says, here's what we're asking God. We're asking God to give you complete knowledge of His will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Hmm. Paul's asking that the church would have knowledge of God's will and spiritual understanding. Why? Why? Because if you have those things, then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord, and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. You want to have fruitful lives? You need to have spiritual health. All the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. What's Paul saying? He's saying, "Look, if you're going to have any transformation in your life, if you're having any growth, if there's going to be any good coming out of it, you need to be spiritually healthy. As you learn to, grow, as you grow, uh, learn to know God better and better. As you increase in your knowledge and spiritual wisdom, everything else in your life will form correctly around that. See, the unspoken context is." Everything is connected to that spiritual life piece. If you get that right, it invades all other areas of your life. If you get it wrong, any transformation you're doing in those areas of your life are merely your best efforts. And this is why February is full of failures for most of us. Because the transformation isn't coming out of the life of Christ in us. It's just coming out of me trying to make a dead man perform. If your spiritual life is healthy, everything else will fall into place. I have a friend, Diane. Many of you know her. She goes to our church. Diane was given a horrible um, diagnosis last year um, of a very aggressive uh, cancer. And she has been through hell and back. She has been through the most aggressive kinds of chemo, radiation, um, you name it. And when I talk to Diane, every time I talk to her, she goes, I've never felt closer to God in my life than I do right now. She said, I know it seems weird that I should be kind of mad at God or angry at God, but I am more in love with God through this process than I was before this happened. Because if you get your spiritual life in order, you can walk through the darkest of valleys in your life. If you don't get your spiritual life in order, if it's not healthy, then everything knocks you down, knocks you off of your way. Now, I don't know where everybody in the room is with God this morning. There's some folks in a room that might be your first time in church, and you're going, you know, I don't even know what I think about God. I'm not sure who Jesus is and what he represents. There may be some of you in a room that feel very distant from God for one reason or another something that's happened in your life. Maybe there's probably what's true of most of us in the room is that there were times in our life where we were very close to God, intimate with God. I had that connection with God. I, I was feeling him. But... Over time, if you've walked with God enough, you know there are these seasons of wandering, these seasons of desert, and maybe that's where you are a little bit today, maybe feeling a little bit distant from God. But here is one thing that I know is true of everybody in the room, no matter where you are on that spiritual continuum. Paul says this. He says it in several places. 2 Corinthians, in the message translation, is the best one. Listen to this. This is what the Bible says about your spiritual health. Quote, Test yourselves to make sure you are solid in the faith. Don't drift along taking everything for granted. Give yourselves regular checkups. You need to, you need firsthand evidence, not merely hearsay that Jesus Christ is in you. The scripture says, test it out. And if you fail the test, I love this, Do something about it. The Bible says here and in other places, on some regular basis, and what's a better way to start than in January of the new year? We should be looking at ourselves, our souls, checking on our spiritual health. Because if our spiritual health is good, everything else falls into place. Spiritual health is bad. We're a mess no matter what else is going on. So how's your soul? See, it's hard to answer that because we, we often don't take the time to say, I wonder what the condition of my soul is. Where am I? Have I stopped and said, where am I on this walk with God? I mean, it's probably a good thing once or twice a year, especially in January, to stop and go, am I actually any more loving than I, than I, than I was before? Have I forgiven anybody? I mean, am I, am, I living, am I living in any way? Am I giving myself away? Am I, am I spending time with God? I mean, what's going on? What's the condition of my soul? Do I feel, am I radically in love with God and people? Or is there just very little there? The Bible says, check yourselves. Just like you would go to a checkup once a year for a physical, uh, your physical bodies. We should be doing this spiritually. Don't drift along, the scripture says. So this morning... We want to follow what the verse said, which is essentially, and if you find yourself wanting, don't just assume you're good. If you find yourself wanting, do something about it. So that's what we want to do. So if you drifted at one level or another, and who hasn't? There's a great story in the scripture that you probably never noticed was related to this, but it's about a drifter, a spiritual drifter, and how he recovered spiritual health. The drifter is called the prodigal, and it's a story of the prodigal son. Let me read it to you if I can. Jesus in Luke tells this story, makes it up. He says, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, note this: give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property up between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together, all that he had, and he set off. I love that. Okay, catch this. This son has dreams and plans and goals. And in order to achieve them, he gathered up all that he had. He was all in. This was not like, I'm going to see how this works. This is, I'm burning the bridge, I'm taking everything I got, and I'm going for it. And he set off to a distant country, and there he squandered all his wealth in wild living. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. And how he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And here's one of the great lines in all of Scripture. When he came to his senses. When he came to his senses, he said, This is crazy. Maybe you've been there. This is crazy. What am I doing? How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. And look at the symmetry of the story. What does he do? I will set out again and I will go back to my father. I'm going all in again in the other direction. I will set out, change my ways. I will go back to my father and I will say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. He did something about it. He did something about it. He didn't say, woe is me, I'm stuck here with the pigs. But while he was a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. And he ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. And the son to his, said to his father, Father, I've sinned against heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick. Bring the best robe and put it on him. As quickly as he tried to get out of town, this is how quick the father celebrated. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive. He was lost and he's found. So they began to celebrate. Now you've heard this story if you've been in the church a long time. But in it, there is a very clear path to spiritual health laid out for drifters Like you and like me. The way back to reconnecting our our souls to God. The, The son in the story is like you and I. He disconnects himself from the only source of life. Because he wants to do his own thing, go his own way, be his own man. And so off he went. You see, you and I, we read this story and we think about God and we think sometimes we're the older brother. But the truth is, all of us are like this. All of us have our eyes enticed to something. We set our face towards something. All kinds of things catch our attention. All kinds of things cause us to desire and go all in on these things. Think about the small dreams that we commit so much to. We want our stuff. We want it now. Things like houses and spouses and kids and cars and careers. They all get our attention and we go all in to get them. Think about what you have done with your time and your money and your energy to get all in on the things you wanted. You wanted a college education and you were willing to dedicate four years at least, a lot more for many of us, four years to it, hundreds of thousands of dollars to it. You're willing to take on debt because that's the goal. I'm all in on that goal. We spend countless years, money, we rack up debt, we, we, we cause all kinds of disruption in our lives and others' lives. Sometimes we'll ruin relationships. But we set out for it. And after we get there, one of two things usually happens. You look around and you go, hmm, this wasn't really what I was hoping it would be. <laughs> Seemed much more enticing in the story that I was told. Or we wind up, In a pig hole, and that's a cleaned up way of saying it for church. See, the son realized where he was, and he did something about getting back. So I don't know where you find yourself spiritually this morning in that continuum, but here's how you get back. The first thing the son did, the first thing that took place that moved him, these are in your notes, okay? So I'm, I'm providing notes every week because I want you just not to listen to me, not just to fall asleep listening to me. I want you to, to write and to think and to process and to see and, and to have something tangible like with your hands, you're writing. So we can kind of get all of the senses firing on, on these concepts because they're important. First step on the pathway towards God is Conviction. The son, the Bible says, comes to his senses. He has that moment where he says, this is crazy. I can't go on like this anymore. In recovery language, and listen, we're all in recovery, right, from one broken area of our life or another. In recovery language, you know what the son does? He hits rock bottom. And just like recovery for an addict is never successful until there's rock bottom, recovery from sin in your life and my life Recovery from the sickness that all of our souls have never comes until you hit rock bottom spiritually. Until you get to a place in your life where you say, you know what? This is crazy. I don't want to do this anymore. I've had enough. I'm so tired of living like this. I'm so fed up with trying to keep up with people. I'm so tired of being lonely or depressed. I can't keep going on running like I am. I can't keep going on drinking like I am. I can't keep going on eating like I am. I can't keep going on spending like I am. I can't keep going on chasing after things like I am. I'm so tired of my marriage being a wreck. I'm so tired of my house being filled with tension all the time. I'm so tired of my relationships being an inch thin or being fractured all over the place. I'd like to be able to go to sleep at night again, God. I'd like to be able to put my head down on my pillow, God, and not have my head just filled with worries or anxieties or fears. I've had enough. I've had enough. If goals are the secret piece to transformation that we miss so often, then the secret piece to spiritual health is this. It's never going to change until you get to the place where you go, I, I can't do it anymore. Until you're so convicted, so broken, so, uh, so, 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 so convinced that this is not the way you want to live your life. This is not the way you want to be. Spiritual health and transformation in your life occurs when you become desperate for it. And we fight against it so hard. God uses all kinds of things in your life and my life to connect us to Him. To reconnect us to the very source of life. Sometimes God will bring things into our lives that will shake us up. Other times, listen, God doesn't have to bring stuff into our lives because the world will beat the crud out of you. But in those places those places of job loss, those places of relational loss, those places of of sickness, in those places, we oftentimes, like a guy holding on to an electric wire, it's frying us inside, but we won't let go. We just hold on and hold on and hold on. We don't let go. And it kills us all the time. God is saying, if you would just turn back. If you would just try to stop looking for all of your stuff here, and you would change the way you think and go back, be convicted that there is not life there. Step one on the path to spiritual health is conviction. Step two, the story says that after the son came to his senses, after he realized, I don't want to live like this anymore, It says, I will set out, and I will go back to my Father. I will go all in on the return trip. And I will say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. Step two on the path to spiritual health is confession. Isaiah, this sounds like old school religion, but listen to me. There's so much power in this, what I'm about to tell you. And you will fight it like crazy because I do too. Isaiah 59, 2 said this, Your sins have separated you from God and have hidden His face from you. Write this down. Sin is a separator. Sin's greatest power is separation. When we sin, when we are in sin, we are separated from God. And by the way, when we sin against God, there causes separation from God. When we sin against each other, what happens in our relationships? Separation. Sin's power is in that, in the way it separates us. It hides us from God and each other. See, it's not that God is hiding from you because you're a bad boy or a bad girl. That's not the story of Scripture. It's not that He's so disgusted with you or disappointed with you or frustrated with you and He wants nothing to do with you. That's not the, that might be the story somebody told you, but that is not the story of Scripture. It's we that hide from God. Adam, when he sins, what is the first thing he does? Does he come clean and go, God, I'm so sorry. You told me to do this, and instead I did that. That's not what he does. Does God in his anger strike Adam down? Does God in his anger wave his finger at him? What does God do? The Scriptures say God comes looking for Adam. And while God comes looking for Adam in his brokenness, in his messed upness, in his his, his, his sinful state, what does Adam do? He hides and he blames. And this is what sin, I know this sounds like an old religious word, but this is what happens with our stuff. It causes God not to turn away from you, but you to turn away from God. See, if you're feeling distant from God this morning, it's not God that moved. He's not far off. He, he is listening to you. See, sometimes right in our spiritual lives, we'll, we'll go into our, our prayer areas and we'll, we'll pray and it'll feel like, ah, I feel like nothing's getting through, God. I just feel like I'm, I'm praying to you and it's just bouncing back and forth. Now, if you're there this morning, let me ask you a hard question. Have you made it a regular practice, a habit in your life, of confessing sin or hiding in bushes? And here's what I don't want you to tell me. I don't want you to tell me, well, you know, I pray the Lord's Prayer, and I say, you know, Father, forgive me my sins. No, no, no. I mean, have you had an honest confessional moment with God where you get before God and you say, here's the deal, God. You know, by the way, he knows this about you already, so you're not telling him anything he doesn't know. But there is incredible power in this. If you would come before God and on a regular basis you would say to him, I am an adulterer. I am a liar. I'm a cheater. I'm a pornographer. In some sense, I'm a hater. You get very explicit with God. And you confess your stuff. There's so much power in this. The question starts to go, I mean, are you taking responsibility for what you've done, where you've gone, who you've been with, what you've said, what you've set your face toward, what you've allowed to fester in your heart and mind? Or have you just kind of chalked it up to human nature? Well, everybody's, you know, there but for the grace of God. And, you know, I'm no better than anybody else. You know, we take so much solace in that, that, that silly statement that we feel that we don't really need to get honest with God with our stuff. Listen, God knows it already. Confession is not because God is trying to put you under his thumb to get you to confess. Confession is God wants you to get it off of your chest so you can get back into community with him. It's not God that's distant from you this morning. He's still the same God who walks through the garden of your life calling you by your name, saying, where are you? And the question is, in your brokenness, will you hide? I heard a great line on this, this week. It said, The fact is that you are as close to God as you choose to be. You're as close to God as you choose to be. If you're distant from God, you can't be blaming others. It wasn't, it wasn't Eve's fault. It wasn't Steve's fault. You're as close to God as you choose to be. And nothing will bring intimacy to your relationship with God. Nothing will get you feeling closer to God than to repent of your sins, to confess them to God. Very explicitly. Very explicitly. Because here's what confession does. Here's what the scripture says. You might say, you know, that's going to bring me to some places I don't really want to go. Many of you, you know the story of King David, who wrote most of the Psalms. He had some confessing to do. There's a guy that, you know, he set his eyes upon a woman, and he took her, and he had her, and then to cover up his his mess, he he had her, her husband killed. And so many of his reflections are in these Psalms saying, I got issues. And his sin was separating him from God. Here's what he wrote. He said this. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away. You see how your spiritual health is connected to every other area of your life. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. Do you hear that, people? My vitality, unconfessed sin, my vitality was just drained, was sucked out of me. I'm so tired. I acknowledge my sin to you. And my inequity I did not hide. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. And when you read that, you can just feel it come off him in a sense. You can just feel the the restoration of his relationship with God. And you forgave my sin. You all know the verse, right? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. We know the verse. This is the problem. This is our problem in the Christian life. We know the verse. We don't do what the verse says to do. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. To get spiritually healthy, you need to be convicted. You need to confess. And step three is this. You need a conversion. You need a conversion. What do I mean by that? In a sense, you need to change the way you think and live your life. Why do I say that? Because this is the repentance piece in the story. It's so clear here. I don't just get convicted of my sins and go, I don't want to live this way anymore, God. I don't just confess my sins and say, God, here's what I'm doing, and keep going back like a dog to its vomit, the Scripture says, back to the same old way of living. I'm so convicted that I decide I'm sure of it. I don't want to do this anymore, and I repent. I turn away. I change the direction. I'm going. This is seen so clearly in two words in the story. In the beginning of the story, the son comes to his father, and he says, Give me my share of the estate. He demands, Give me what's coming to me. I want my stuff. This is our relationship with God so often. God, give me this. God, give me that. I want these things because I'm going this way. I need this from you. But yet when he comes back to God, did anybody catch what he said, the two words that he, he said coming back to God? When he comes back to God, he says, make me like one of your servants. From give me to make me. He moves from give me to make me. From my life is all about taking your stuff, God, to, my life is really going to be about, about giving you my stuff, God. Make me one of your servants. One of the key verses in this whole thing was, was Romans. We talked about it last week, right? Um, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, uh, excuse me, um, do not conform to the patterns of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do you know what verse is right before it that talks about how that happens? Therefore, I urge you, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. You need to stop taking from God and start giving back. To God. Step one is conviction. I've had enough. Step two is confession. I'm coming clean, God. And step three is this. I'm offering myself, my life, my talents, my hopes, my dreams, my money, my kids, my plans, my car, my body, my mind, my sexuality. You name it, whatever it is, God, whatever you've given me, it's no longer mine. It is now used to build your kingdom. I'm having a change of the way I think about everything. You got to offer your life back to God. A huge piece in getting spiritually healthy is understanding that all your stuff, and I don't need spiritual or financial stuff here. This is not about John trying to convince you to give more to the church. I mean, everything you have your looks, your talents, your charm, your intelligence they're all God's. And part of being spiritually healthy is giving them back on a regular basis to God. And when you don't, It leads you to the same. When you use it all on yourself, when you say, give me, it leads you to where it led the prodigal. A pig hole. And here's the last one. If we're convicted of our sin, if we're honest in our confession, if we change our minds about the way we live, when we get this right and understand it at deep levels, it leads to one thing. Celebration. Celebration is the fourth piece back. See, Christianity has screwed this one up for years, too. There's been this concept in Christian circles that, okay, once I do this, once I give my life back to God, well, I've got to grind out my life now because I can't have any more fun. I want to make sure I don't go to any parties or see any movies because, you know, I shouldn't have any fun. See, that's not the experience of real spiritual health. You'll know you're spiritually healthy when you live a life of joy, of thanksgiving of partying, in a sense, for what's been done, the relationship you have with God. Why do you think in the Bible, we don't like to talk about this in church, but it's kind of funny, why do you think in the Bible there's so much emphasis on feasting and celebrating and dancing and drinking Oh, I mean, I'm not encouraging drunkenness here, but what I am encouraging is this concept of the Scriptures. God's people should be celebrating all of the time. You know, one of the tithes in Israel was actually used for partying. It should be, people outside of the walls of the church should be going, I don't know what it is about those people, but they seem to love each other a lot. Man, they party. See, throw a good party and the world will come to your door. Was the truth then? It's the truth now. Celebration is another huge step in the way back to God. Scripture says, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. This is God's will for you. Now, in your notes, that's a pathway back, right? You've got to be convicted. You've got to say, I don't want to live this way anymore. I can't live this way anymore. The second is to confess what you've done. Right? The third is this conversion. I'm not going to do this anymore, God, through your help. And the last one is this celebration. That's the path back to God. But how do you stay in communion with God? Now, I, I put down seven habits there. These are seven habits. To say there' are seven habits of John would be a complete and outright lie because habit means that I do them habitually, and I don't. What it does, what I am trying to get across, though, is in my life when I've been close to God, these are things I'm getting right. So these are ways that you can, once you've come back to God, stay in a spiritual healthy place that you can feed your spirit. I'm going to go through them quickly if I can for you, all right? The first habit that you've got to get right, the first two are in order. You've got to get the first two right. The first habit is the habit of prioritization. The habit of prioritization. The truth is, if God is not first in your life, you cannot be spiritually healthy. You were created by God for Him to be first in your life. And when you get that inverted, when you miss that, you cannot be spiritually healthy. Listen, I do lots of counseling now. It's a privilege. I love hearing people's stories and getting with them. But almost behind, behind almost every counseling session is this, an inversion of priorities. An inversion of priorities. What do I mean by that? It could be our spouses, our kids, our careers, our reputation, whatever it is. Oftentimes what's causing pain is that something has raised itself above God in our lives and we've begun to worship that thing. These are not bad things. Let me tell you what we do it with all the time. Here's the way God created us. God created us that we would be, number one, in communion with him. Number one, or number two, that we would find somebody to walk through life with, this partner, and number three, that we would be fruitful and multiply and we'd have children. What do we do? What's our, what happens in our lives? If I went to people on the streets of Marston and I said, what's the most important thing in your life, what would they tell me? My kids. Kids are the most important thing. Oh, I love i do anything for my kids. I see people posting on Facebook all the time, you're my joy. I don't know what I'd do without you. And then, if, then if their kids were eliminated, i said, say, okay, what's the next most important thing in your life? What would they say? Probably my spouse, my girl, my guy. And then what? God. And we invert the order. And then we wonder why our lives are, are, are a mess. We invert the order all the time. Prioritization is key to your spiritual health. Let me give you number two. Number two goes with number one. The habit of presence. In order to prioritize God in our lives, there's a number of things you must do, but there's one thing that is paramount to it and I wish all oh, church I wish it wasn't true I'm busy I don't have time for God I'm really busy I'm busy, too busy serving them I'm too busy writing sermons and writing devotionals and 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 raising kids and and going to wrestling matches and 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 saving for retirement and, and I'm too busy for God but the truth is you will never be spiritually healthy unless you make it a regular pattern in your life to spend some time with God Just like if somebody came to you and said, Oh, I'll tell you the two most important things in my life are my wife and my kids, and you looked at them and, and you realized this guy doesn't even live in the same state as his wife and kids, you'd laugh at him, wouldn't you? But don't we do the same thing with God in our own life? The most important thing to me is God. Really? Really? It, there is no spiritual health without presence with God. You need to take the time. you need to put time into that relationship. If you think your marriage unwinds, if you don't put time into it, you have a whole list of enemies that will destroy your life if you don't put time into your relationship with God. Set aside some time. Now, what do you do in that time? Can I just give you three things? These are those W's there. Number one, you need to spend some time in the Word of God. This is very important. I'm not going to go on and on. You know that. That's where He's found. It it, it enlightens who He is. You need to search God's Word for Him. You can find Him there. If you don't know God's Word at at least a rudimentary level, it is likely you are worshipping a God that you have made up. Number two, you need to seek wisdom. You need to seek wisdom. What do I mean by that? The world is, prop- I don't know, just pounding you with stuff about, oh, there is no such thing as God, there's no evidence of this, you people are so silly, you're so stupid, you're so closed minded, how could you possibly believe this? That gets in. You're a human being. And so our job is to seek some wisdom, to learn some apologetics, to get something in so we can actually say, no, what I believe actually is true. It's not just, it's not just some made-up thing. And here's why. I can give you some reasons. Uh, let, me, let me make this very clear for you this week. I, it happened to me a couple, couple weeks ago. I was sitting home, and an article got published in the Wall Street Journal. I don't know if any of you saw it. Absolutely fascinating. It, was a, it, it, it sprung board off of... Um, Uh, an article in 1966, Time Magazine, we have the cover for you, ran a story asking, is God dead? And this story and this time period kind of captured the American heart and science. And the thought was in the 60s that as science progressed, there would be less and less need for God because God was just an explanation for things we didn't understand. We chalked that up to God. But it turns out that it's a little more difficult than that. Here, here's the story. That same year, Time featured that famous headline, the astronomer Carl Sagan. See, I was too busy like playing sports and chasing girls, but some of my friends that probably turned out to be more, more successful were watching Carl Sagan back in the day on Channel 13. I remember them coming in and talking about it. Carl Sagan, in the late 60s, had announced this. He, he had said that there were two important criteria. You only need two criteria for a planet to support life. The right kind of star... And a planet the right distance from the star. And he said, given the roughly octillion, that's one, followed by 27 zeros, given the octillion planets in the universe, there should have been about a septillion, that's one, followed by 24 zeros, planets capable of supporting life. This is what you're fed. So essentially, the thinking was, with those kind of numbers, there just had to be life out there somewhere. It wasn't uncommon. With such spectacular odds, the search for extraterrestrial intelligence, SETI, which was a large, expensive collection of private and publicly funded projects, launched in the 60s because they were going to turn up this life. It was so common. Life should be so common. Scientists listened with radio telescopes and networks of them for signals and for codes. But as the years passed, the silence from the universe became deafening. Congress defunded SETI in 1993... And as of 2014, researchers have discovered precisely zero, followed by no other zeros. Now, what happened? As our knowledge of the universe increased, it became clear. This is from the Wall Street Journal a couple weeks ago. The Wall Street Journal. It became clear that there were far more factors for life than Sagan supposed. His two parameters grew to 10, and then 20, and then 50. So the number of potentially life-supporting planets decreased accordingly. The number dropped to a few thousand planets and kept on plummeting. In fact, look what Peter Shechnall said, the writer for Skeptical Inquirer magazine, in the story. In light of new findings and insights, it seems appropriate to put excessive euphoria to rest. We should quietly admit that the early estimates may no longer be tenable. And as factors continue to be discovered, the number of possible planets hit zero... And kept going. In other words, the odds turns against every planet, any other planet in the universe supporting life, including this one. Probability said that even we shouldn't be here. Here's three quotes from the Wall Street Journal a couple weeks ago. This is from Fred Hoyle, the astronomer who coined the term Big Bang. Quote, A common sense interpretation of the facts suggests that a super intellect has monkeyed with the physics as well as with chemistry and biology. The numbers one calculates from the facts seem to be so overwhelming as to put this conclusion almost beyond question. Did you know that? Theoretical physicist Paul Davies, the appearance of design is overwhelming. Oxford professor Dr. John Lennox, the more we get to know about our universe, the more hypothesis that there is a creator gains in credibility as the best explanation of why we are here. You need to seek wisdom. God never called his people to be idiots. That's the truth. Seek wisdom. And the third is you need to put some walls up in your life. You need to stop watching the Kardashians. Because you keep putting that crud in your head. I do it too. I do it too. But we need to put some walls up in our life. Not those old religious walls of, well, I don't do this, I don't do that because that's sin. No, you got to start saying, this is, gonna, this is making me believe things. This is making me act in ways that aren't true. Put some walls up in your life. You, you put them on your kids, but you think when you get older, you don't need them. All right, let me just rip through a couple quick ones. <laughs> uh, first, the ha- uh, the next one the habit of confession this is probably the most powerful tool in here we are not good at confessing to god by the way these are all in your devotions this week you can work on these we are not good at confessing to god because we just stroke over our stuff with a broad brush but the scripture doesn't say that we're only to confess to god who else does it say we are to confess to Confess your sins one to another. When's the last time you had a good confessional, people? See, we threw the baby out with the bathwater on that one. You want to feel better than you've ever felt, cleaner than you've ever felt, closer to God maybe than you've ever felt? Go confess your sins to someone. Now, you need to be really careful with that. You need to confess them to a spiritually mature person. You need to confess them to a person you're in a relationship with. And you need to confess them to somebody who is likely willing to confess his back to you. So you both are humbled in the process. But if you will confess your sins, you will experience a freedom from your sins and a closeness to God like very few people have ever tasted. Confession is good for the soul. It's not from the Bible, but it's true. Let me give you just a couple more quickly. The habit of limitation. Choose to have less. Do you know Jesus That Jesus used an exclamation point in the Bible? Here's what he said. Watch out, exclamation point. Do you know what he said to watch out for? Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in abundance of possessions. Oh man, you, we just rack up our stuff and it enslaves us. Practice limitations. Just because you can afford a new car doesn't mean you should buy a new car. Just because you can afford a bigger house doesn't mean you should buy a bigger house. Practice limitations. The more stuff you get, the more you enslave yourself to it. I had a friend that called me this week. He said, I just wanted to tell you this. He said, Here's the deal. Uh, He said, I'm in sales and I'm doing really well, and I think I'm going to make a lot of money this year. And every cent I make over what I made last year, I'm giving to the work of God. And he goes, I'm not doing that because I'm trying to brag. I'm doing it because I'm going to need you to hold me accountable to doing it. But I am going to limit my life. I'm going to practice limitations in my life so I can be set free. Set some limitations up in your life. The next one: the habit of humility. Humble yourself. Oh man, your flesh will hate this. You will not like this. Jesus says, "When you walk into a banquet room, you should sit in the worst seat in the house. Practice humility. Here's what you should do. You want a spiritual you want, to, you want to grow in your spiritual health. Go find somebody in the corporate rung, in the, in, in the pecking order of life, who is way below you, and do something really servant in nature for them. Number one, that'll feel really weird. And number two, tell nobody for the rest of your life. That will hurt like heck. You will feel that burning in you. Oh, I want to tell somebody what I did for her. Practice humility. Practice humility. It'll draw you towards God. Jesus was Jesus who had everything considered himself a servant. Practice humility. Two more, the habit of association. The habit of association. Here we go. We read this verse all the time, and nobody does it. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Get out of the Mendem Chester bubble. And bring yourself down to where the rest of the world lives. If you want to have your soul reconnected to God, walk amongst the poorest of the poor. It will change your life. Those of you that have been to Guatemala know that that is true. It will change your life. Go to all the places where all the, all the people are that are so far from God and need Him so much. we got to stop hanging out with each other all the time. Practice this association with, with people that are lower than you, are more broken than you. Go to nursing homes. Go go to the Association for Retarded Citizens. Whatever it is, go to those places. It will change your heart. It will change your soul. And lastly, practice the habit. You won't like this one either. Your flesh or scream against this. This and this is why it's in your workbook this week too. Practice the habit of forgiveness. See, we think Jesus wants our money and our stuff. You know what? This is what the scripture says. If you are offering your gift at the altar and you remember your brother has something against you, leave your gift. Don't bother. Stop doing all those religious things. First, go and be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. You want to grow spiritually? Find somebody that really ticks you off, that has just just really done bad things to you. Hurt you, abandoned you, stabbed you in the back. And, and, and be an agent of forgiveness and reconciliation. Make a call. Write a letter. There's so, man, you want to see God move? You start to do these things, you will see God show up in your life. I'm telling you, take a step towards forgiveness. So, the band's going to come up. I'm going to pray. I'm telling you. Guys, together, we can get spiritually healthy in 2.15. Our spirits can grow. We can walk the path back to God. We can work through these seven habits regularly. I'm going to encourage you to think this through, work this through in your devotions this week. Come up with a goal, and we'll strive towards it together. Father, as the band comes, I pray for us as a people, God, that we would, the number one thing is, Lord, that we would desire to be changed that we'd be convicted that we can't go on like this. There is a better way, a higher call, a greater love. In the name of Jesus, we pray.